Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Will. And with us this week again is Brent Lambert. What's up, man? Welcome back. How the hell are thank you? Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be back. I'm um, doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Um, I'm stoked about these episodes. People seem to be digging them, so we're going to keep the uh, the trend going. Because of when we're recording this, we don't have any current convention stuff or anything to talk about. So as far as social media stuff goes, I say we just follow us on social media, rate us five stars and all that kind of stuff. But what do we got? Uh, Instagram? Will? Instagram. Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Yeah, and then we're going to start a TikTok in the new year of Nick dancing. No. No, 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 no. Okay, I'll yeah. tell you what. If the only scenario we start we start a TikTok is if it's only Nick and it's just him dancing. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's the whole point. You guys <laughs> clearly haven't been on TikTok and looked up no, the trendingness of authors on TikTok because it's hilarious. The first song that Nick on, on our official TikTok um, channel is Nick going to be dancing to Milkshake by Khalif. <laughs> oh my god! Oh but god! I'm gonna I'm gonna dress as Peter Griffin. It's okay if I want to have nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> Not when I got your name written on my forehead. Oh Lord! Okay. I love Marshall. Anyway, TikTok aside, um, thanks to everybody who has been listening. A uh, big shout out to our patrons as well. So thanks to everybody who's supporting the show. We got daily writing prompts and all kinds of other stuff going on over there. So check us out. Patreon.com slash just keep writing. So shout out to all our new listeners. Yes. Who recently got to listen to me and Barbara Lund talk at FireCon. Not the same one as Brent, but FYRE that we just said. Uh, that I just got the opportunity to teach at. Uh, it's a local one here in Utah. It was all online. So if you guys are coming here from that, thank you for joining us. Just want to give a quick shout out to you. Love teaching everyone there. That's awesome. Wait, I just want to roll back for a minute. They named yeah. it FireCon. So I, I'm also kind of confused a little too because, okay. at, you know, because I just want to be like, okay, like again, I mean, who started it, Nick? I mean, we can edit this out, but was it a bunch of white people? Because I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> Okay. This I'm is like the si- this is like the sixth year this con's been in place. I was just about to say I feel like I've heard of it before ours. I just yeah. it <laughs> it's F Y R E, and it's all about fairies and fire. I don't. It's all about I, fairies, and I wasn't invited. I, it's in Utah. Guess how many people? <laughs> it's in Utah. Guess how many okay. non-white people I saw. Oh, please. I know. There was like zero people. Holding, those of you not benefiting from the video feed, he's holding one, one single now, finger. You have to cut this out because <laughs> I just taught with them. It, to be fair, I only saw 13 people total. <laughs> but to be fair, oh, not wow. to, I mean, when this that comes out too, this will be after the fact. But yeah. uh, I'm stoked for you. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time on that. That's I good. will be getting the recordings. So those mm. recordings will actually be able to to be put out on our, on our site or on my author website in the coming months. Awesome. That's a good reminder too. We have, we have the podcast one we did for WXR that I'd like to put up too at some point too. So there would be some more stuff coming to Patreon too. So, And will you tell our dear listeners what you discussed you and Barbara? Yeah. So me and Barbara were able to teach a class about fighting, writing fighting scenes. Oh. Um, this is something I really enjoy, but I don't enjoy I like action movies, but I hate action movies that are just about blowing stuff up. So when it comes to writing fighting scenes, it's something I'm pretty particular on. We did this in our in our group or other writing group together, me, you, and Brian, and Will. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so it's something I'm clearly passionate about. The other class we talked about was writing military and police PTSD. So that, you know, that class comes with a heavy label uh, graphic warning content um, in the beginning because we do discuss things such as dark humor, which is a very common coping mechanism in those worlds. Um, so, yeah, it was super fun. It's a newer class for me to be teaching because I do deal with my own PTSD and anxiety and depression stuff. It's it's a little hard in the beginning, um, but as I teach it more, you know, I'm getting better at it and just trying to bring awareness to to that mental health side of things um, wherever I can. Dude, I'm, I'm stoked for you. I didn't realize you had already taught that. I thought it was something that was upcoming. So congrats on that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's nope. awesome. Yeah, no, that's Did awesome. you guys get the picture? And also, I got the picture, but again, so many texts. Wow. But, but what I was going to say also, my friend, <laughs> is that, you know, kind of when we talk before we start recording, I say like, oh, I'm not going to talk about conventions and stuff that's going on. And you failed to mention that at all. So, well, you know, it, it, yeah. is, a, it is a thing where I know my place. Uh-huh. So I, yeah. I keep quiet until we're recording and then you can't shut me up. Good point. Um, <laughs> All no, right. it was actually, it, it skipped my mind until we said something right then and there. And I was like, oh, yeah. wait. No, that's uh, great. I'm stoked for you. And, and you know, tell Barbara hi for me. I'm stoked you guys got to do that. So Absolutely. Uh, all right. So let's get right into it there, team. So uh, we are going to continue our conversation from the last episode. Um, so if you're tuning in from part two, this will be part three, obviously. We're going to uh, continue our conversation about mastering plot twists uh, by Jane Cleland. And we're going to keep rolling through it. And so, uh, Will, why don't you start us off? We're starting at the very end of chapter two. And we're going to talk about, um, it just flew out of my head. Thematic heft. Good. Yep. Go. So the idea behind it is the more familiar you are with your character's needs and wants, their longings, the stronger your stories will be. And it's um, by gauging how conflicts inform plots and storylines, you're able to add weight and importance to your writing. I think some of the things uh, that you want to think about is there's three things. Identify a person's longing, choosing an opposing force to create conflict, and align the conflict with the prime motivator. And can um, I'm going to go down the row. Uh, can you guys uh, talk about how you're utilizing that? Or like when you think about like your main protagonist or maybe your villain, like how does it help us identify a person's longing in the story? Well, we're talking about figure 2.5 on page 51, thematic heft. Um, well, we'll, no, 2.6. Yeah, two point um, six. Well, it's homing in the relationships between key elements. So think of it this way: when you're thinking about conflict, uh, you can start doing it by identifying a person's longing, choose an opposing force to create a conflict, and align the conflict with the prime motivator. So my question is: is how do the three of you have you used this? Did it make you think about um, your main character and how to create more conflict, and maybe in areas that? you were struggling in or that you can identify in your own writing or things that you've read. You know, I, I think the more I go through this book, I identify weaker points in my current writing. And one of them is building that relationship between the conflict and my character's prime motivator, which for me is my character just wants to fit into society. Uh, normally. Um, but due to the conflicts, they can't do that. And things like that. So I'm trying to establish that a little bit more. 
If that makes any sense to you guys. No, it does. Will's looking at me like I'm crazy, so. Not at all. Yeah, and my no, wife no. just said I'm crazy too, so I'm screwed. <laughs> well, to be fair, dude, we all know you are crazy, but it's in a good way, and we love you. So I guess I guess what I was trying to figure out with 2.6, because I, I struggled with this a little bit, but what I did was I kind of looked at the questions at the end of the chapter and kind of... I, I'm really trying to figure out a couple of things with this because this is obviously bridging from what we were talking about last time, which was the mice stuff, right? And just trying to figure out where we had a nice conversation about villains. We had a nice conversation about um, our current works. So essentially this last thing is thematic heft is something I haven't really thought about, but I think it's something that if, if folks are listening to this and want to go back to this exercise, if they get stuck or trying to figure out if something's not working, this is a really good exercise to kind of dive into that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily have an answer to your question right now, Will, is what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I think this exercise is really important. I'm sorry I can't answer your question. Brent's going to say something. Well, okay. So for me, in, um, in my writing, I like to, especially in that pre-planning phase or that planning phase before you actually start drafting, I like to ask myself questions. So for these three things, it worked better for me when I reframed it as a question. So when um, they say identify a person's longing, I reframed it as what does my character want? And then um, choose an opposing force to create a conflict. I rephrased it as who or what is standing in their way of getting what they want. And then um, align the conflict with the prime motivator. Why does the character want what they want basically and reframing it that way as a question for me it works better because that asking myself questions is uh is an easier way for me to like map stuff out so that's kind of what i did with these and i thought about i mean the last novel i finished was before i started reading this book but um i started thinking about some of my characters in that um, work and it kind of like going into revisions, I feel like I'm going to be a little bit stronger in identifying like, am I staying on theme with the character? Am I, the the scenes that they're in, Do are they counting? Are they working towards making that theme? Like I have this one character, so he's, um, so he's basically, he's like a, it's like a 4,000 year old, like assassin. Well, he used to be an assassin for angels or whatever, right? So he left that, for um, once the angels left, he was kind of like without purpose. And, you know, he started becoming this like mentor to this warrior figure. And so what I kind of like had to define for myself is like, why did he choose this girl? Like what is so important to him about this girl? And I realized that as I was thinking it out, it's because he's looking for redemption and she's his redemption. And so now when I'm going through a vision, I'm going to make sure, sh- sure i'm looking at the interactions between them from that angle like is he because if he's looking at her as a source of redemption he's going to be for instance like he he's more willing to forgive her mistakes than he is of other people because he wants her to be his redemption so i Mm kind of like i guess the way i kind of examined it is just like i think about it as um trying to figure out like what that core idea is in the person, in the character, because if you're trying to like, I guess regurgitate your work back to somebody, you should be able to sum up a character in like a sentence. And I feel like this chart, this exercise kind of gives you the means to do that. And, and, and also too, 
we spent a lot of time last time. And I know we talked before we started recording about trying to focus more on books, but I always like to go back to TV shows too. And I do appreciate Brent bringing up his current work in progress too. But I, I keep thinking about the example I used, I think last time um, from the expanse with the, the character of um, uh, uh, Gunny, you know, the Gunny character. It's like, what does she want? And trying to figure out why she makes the decisions she makes based on what she wants. She wants Mars to be okay. She wants Mars to have an atmosphere. She wants, so she sees this end game for Mars, right? But she aligns herself with these characters um, for, you know, with uh, uh, her name just flew out of my head, but with the diplomat character and then with the shady folks and, 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 and that kind of thing. And it's really interesting to see how a character, and, and this goes back to our writing too, is, is how a character aligns themselves with, people that they they probably shouldn't but their that end game is in mind too the as the prime motivator is like i want this thing so this is the decisions i should make in order to make that happen right so i think i think that's interesting way to look at it too well i'm bringing the expanse into a that specific character you see her desire and what her end game is change she's very heavy military she bought into Mm-hmm. The Mars is the next great thing. And then as soon as every politician had the chance to get off of Mars, they did and went to shit. And now right. you're, you're seeing a, uh, and what I like about it, I'll just touch on it real quick. It's common in the military. She's looking for herself. She has a, she's having like an identity crisis, mm. um, which is super unique because I think when you take this, you see her prime motivator change and her comp, but her conflict's still the same. Right. Well, well you're so gonna I'm going to bring it back to a, a book called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab, uh, which if anyone hasn't read it, it's really beautifully written. Um, and the story's amazing. So for the identified person's longing, um, Addie LaRue um, made a deal with um, one of the gods that you shouldn't pray to at night, but did. And she got uh, longevity and a long life. She got to see the world. But the caveat was that of that is that every person that she meets will forget her. So her longing is in some way to be remembered and have an effect on people. And this is where the novel establishes that very drilled down longing and creates a whole world around it. The opposing force in it is not just Addie's longing to be remembered and to have a life of meaning, but it's also with the, um, the God or devil, whatever you want to kind of describe them as um, coming to collect for her soul. And then the conflict align, the conflict with the prime motivator. It's right there. It's that she wanted this, but at the same time, she didn't want to be forget she didn't want to be forgotten. And it's how is she creative in the ways to find joy and meeting with it. So I think that is a very drilled down and simplified version of the book. But I think that is some way that you can also see where this very drilled down can really elaborate into a story um, that creates conflict. Should we get into chapter three? Since I know... Will's very eager to get to chapter three. And I think, and this is one of those things that um, we've talked about off mic too. I think 
we we want to try to condense some of these into more than just one episode, I think, um, going forward. But I know, I think getting into a book um, and some of the conversations, and we're all kind of geeks too, and we like talking about this stuff. So uh, it, it does it, it does get a little involved sometimes. But we in the future, we may try to condense, uh, try to do two chapters maybe in an episode or something like that. But for now, we're going to focus on chapter three and, and call it an episode. So uh, Will, go ahead. What do you got? I mean, this is just about perception, you know, the power of perception. And I think um, it starts off with a quote, there is no truth, there is only perspective. And I think if you look at the state of the world that we're in in right now, in November, um, there is a reality of what is, and the reality of what someone wishes. And it affects everyone, right? Both, Both forces affect everyone. Right. You have someone who, even after voter recount, has won the election. And you have an opposing force who's in power who refuses to concede and to admit reality that their time is gone. So, how does that affect everyone? Let's think about that just from a storytelling perspective. Let's say you do in a story, you know, and maybe a post collaptic world, um, you have someone who doesn't want to get rid of power because they see themselves as the just leader that needs to just keep on going. It's going to affect everyone, whether they're for them or they're against them. So perception is a really powerful um, part of storytelling. So uh, the colors of perception, there's a little section of the book that talks about uh, the colors of perception and about how someone sees color. Did you guys read that? Yep. Um, thoughts on it? It's, um, I think it is very effective in um, making sure that you have a voice in your story and that the voice is um, consistent, right? Because I think we all have read books where the um, voice of the character is just so damn strong and it holds throughout and I think this is part of it is that the writer is keyed into that character's perception. Like I just finished reading um, the fires of vengeance. So it's a uh, book two in um, Evan Winter's uh, series, but basically he focuses on his main character is his name is Tao and Tao is basically an all out warrior who wants revenge for his father's death and that's it. Like that is his focus. He he has trained himself to do horrible things for this pers- in pursuit of this goal. And I, the, I think the reason those two books have resonated so well with people is because Evan writes that perception so well, and it it colors everything. And in those brief moments where he does change the POV, it's clear that you're seeing it from someone else's perspective. Like his, like his perception of it is like the way he communicates with people, the way that he sees the world, like the way he sees politics, like all of that is affected by his perception of, and it's all filtered through this lens of vengeance. Like there's a point where his, one of his, um, one of his friends is like, we can't do what you're asking because this is going to upset the political order. And he's like, I don't give a damn. I want this man dead. And so, um. Yeah, so I think it, it's it's and he's so focused on his revenge, he's oblivious to the fact that this 
this queen is falling for him. Like he doesn't, and and um, Evan does a really good job where like anyone else reading the that scene understands that the queen is flirting with him, but he's so focused on his revenge. He's just like, why is she being so strange? Like, I, I, like <laughs> and it's you know, so it's it's it's. I think that is like um, it gives a story voice when you have a good grasp of that person's color of perception and how they see things. Like in uh, in in um in this section, it talks about how someone who's a loner would view the lake as serene. I think in yeah. Tao's case, he's going to view a lake as an obstacle. Like, get this damn lake out the way. It's keeping me from getting to this guy, right? Like, everything is about his revenge. So, um, yeah, I think that's, like, the most recent example I've read where perception just really, really strongly colors the book and creates a great story with it. So, um, Nick, perception. How do you think perception, you know, forms characters and what in what you've written or what you've read recently do you feel like that's a really powerful tool as a writer absolutely for me i i I don't know what will's trying to say to me off mic here uh but i'm in trouble apparently i i go back to one of my favorite series now um by philip c quintrall echoes of fate i knew you were gonna say that one Oh, <laughs> this last part of the trilogy, and it even starts in the second one. In the second, I thought it was, thought it was ten bucks. Nine. Okay, I'm sorry. It's nine bucks. Yes, and I, and I bring it up because in the second trilogy, you see, literally see a character be brainwashed into thinking they are the answer to save the realm. By the end of that book, ta-da, they're not. Um, and I won't tell you who it, who it is, but now it sets up for the big stage, you know, final stage of the last three books of them saying, I am the best thing. I am this. I am that. It is their own perception of themselves that creates this, such a dynamic and diverse battle in culture fight. Um, in my own writing, um, I use... Currently, I'm using someone's own self-perception against them. They think they're really great at this. They think they're good at that because they just don't care what other people think. So they're not actually not hearing any of the good feedback or the, you know, being open to criticism and things like that. And so I think perception, there's a lot of ways you can play with it. I love that you mentioned that about your character. I think that's a really interesting tool of creating a flaw in your character, you know, of them perceiving themselves to be one way, good or bad. And then they're actually not, you know, and it's holding them back. I think that can create a very great internal conflict that can also lead to external conflict. So I think that's genius. Now it's my turn to harp on that and make it better. (laughs) Pull pull it off is what I like to say. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, uh, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I'll come to my work in progress uh, in in a, in a second, but I think what's I think what Brent said is is really important because as far as I think voice and perception and character perception obviously go hand in hand. And I think a really good example of this uh, we had an interview with Dan Wells um, a few episodes back, and and his uh, serial killer series. Uh, I feel like does this really, really well. And, and I think, I think what he pulls off in that is the character perceives 
himself as a serial killer, that he's just trying to keep himself from crossing that threshold into becoming what he already sees himself as. But the world doesn't see this kid as a serial killer, right? And so as things start to happen around him, uh, the perceptions from both angles get skewed in a way where it gets really interesting. And I really like, and, and I think, and he does pull it off, like Brent was saying earlier, uh, with the character voice along with it, because it is a first person perspective POV. Um, it's, it's really, really well done. Um, so that's something to, to, to keep in mind as far as a good example. Uh, I'm not a serial killer series with Dan Wells, in my opinion. Um, but as far as my current work, I have this, and I, I think I talked about the, the other POV character, um, the, the female character I have in my current work and she's just looking for acceptance anywhere. Right. But her perception of the world is skewed. And in, in, in that she doesn't see, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Cause I, again, not pulling it off yet, but she doesn't really see the impact of her decisions on a, on a wider level. Right. Like aligning herself with, uh, with nefarious folks isn't a big deal to her because she sees it as a means to an end. Right. Um, but when she ends up with the, the brutes, the, you know, the, the, the all black military force that, you know, is, is basically in position to save this world, this scenario. Um, she realizes that what she's done is actually a detriment to, to the wider good. And I think, I think that's a really uh, something that as authors, we just, try to make work. And I think sometimes it has to come back in revision. <laughs> um, but, but again, I, I, that's, that's the goal in that is, is the perception of the character of what she sees as right, wrong, whatever, but depending on what's happening around them uh, is, is will ultimately change that, I guess, if I'm even saying that correctly. You are. Um, so I really liked that Brent brought up, brought up about uh, having a voice and perspective, and sometimes that leads you in. So I'm just going to read a paragraph of which I think captures what Brent and um, Nick and Marshall were talking about. But it's not science fiction. It's um, it's called "History Is All You Left Me" by Adam Silvera. I'm not going to tell you anything about the plot because I think again, this is also a masterclass of first page, first paragraph. But this is all about perspective and truth, right? And voice. You're still alive in an alternate universe, Theo. But I live in the real world where this morning you're having an open casket funeral. I know you're out there listening. And you should know I'm really pissed because you swore you would never die. And yet here we are. It hurts even more because this isn't the first promise you've broken. I'll break down the details of this promise again. You made it last August. Trust me when I say I'm not talking down to you as I recall this memory and many others in great detail. I'm going to stop right there. I think this is the perception of someone who is, one, really believing he's talking to someone who's passed away. Two, um, it captures the voice of the character. And three, it automatically sets the tone. You know, I think by having this very conversational voice towards a character who has passed away, thinks of two things. Either this person is still grieving and hasn't admitted it, or is this um, an unreliable narrator? 
Is there anything that they can say from that first point of view that is, you know, factual? And I think that captures in about perspective and just having a voice, because I felt like that voice comes across really strong just within that first paragraph. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that um, that does establish a voice right away, right? And it, it it answers things for the reader without having to be explicit or expository about it. Like, you can pick up on things from... And I think... Um, I think of this uh, quote from, I think it was Adam's family, but it was like, what is uh, what is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's totally perception, right? Because it's like. I know, I know that line too. And I, I think it is Adam's family. That's Isn't it from Wednesday when she was at the camp and she's I going think, to the yeah. uh, girl and she was like. I think so. Yeah, that was hilarious. And I think it's about good. that though, because that's, that's totally perception, right? And I think about the. Um, not just in terms of voice, but I also think about how that plays out in how you build your worlds and what you dis- what you choose to describe when you're um, building your world. So, like, I'm just like a random example, like someone who is a royal coming to this a dirty city might know this crap in the streets, whereas somebody who's been growing up there their whole life won't even think about it. So it's like you know, it's so. You choosing to mention that detail says something about the character that it's that's the POV of or whatever. So I think that perception can be used on multiple levels to kind of really, really immerse the reader in this person's point of view and perspective. And 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 Will, I don't know how much jumping around you want to do, but I kind of want to jump over to the groupthink part of this real quick, which is a few pages later, and and what you guys have been saying kind of made me think and, and my example from my current work in progress made me think about this, but on page 76 where it says group think is irrational. And I think this is a really interesting kind of approach to take to not only character perception, but also uh world building too. So it says um, it's what figure 3.6. It says an individual's perceptions derive from a mysterious amalgam of factors. We may not understand all the elements that contribute to a person's perceptions, but we do know that once they are developed, we, they're extremely hard to change. Something different happens, however, in groups. In groups, individuals' opinions change quickly. Social uh, psychologist, uh, sorry, physiologist Irving Janitz labeled this phenomenon as groupthink. And this reminds me a little bit of um, 1984, a little bit, um, because it's that whole idea of this is how this society functions as a group this is what we think and if there's an individual or a character or some or or you know uh, a voice coming through there that is bucking the system in some way right i think that's really interesting to go against this idea and depending especially if you're writing science fiction or something too where it's a little easier to group up folks so for example going back to the expanse which i always tend to do because it's pretty easy the belters think a certain way you know, the Martians think a certain way and the earthlings th- think a certain way. So when you are an individual in that, in that society or a character in that society, and you start to think differently, how does that group think about you as well? And I think that's something to think about when you're crafting characters and world building too is, and, and we're seeing it in our current political uh, climate as well. It's like, you know, half the country thinks one way, 
just a little over half the country thinks a different way. And that's a really interesting kind of dynamic when you when you take it into your into your fiction, I think as well. So well, I think to that point though, is that it also can appear if we're talking like and I think this is good for writing, that we also want to recognize that things are nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. So where say half the country sides with um Trump, right? I think being liberal or someone who's democratic automatically thinks, well, everyone is evil on the other side, right? That's how you can demonize people. But I think it's, and that's easy to do. And I understand that type of thought process, but when things are more nuanced, right? That some things are not so easy for certain groups of people and the people that it's not easy for, and this all goes back to story Mm -hmm. are the people who usually can be changed through logic and deeds, yeah. you know, because they're not so um, they're not so back to ideology. They're doing something maybe because it's been a tradition, maybe because they don't understand where the other side's coming from and they're not exposed to the other side. Right. So I think even from um, a writing perspective, you can really, um, that's a really interesting, you know, thought process of like, how can we create nuanced characters who are part of the bad guys or good guys and how they could actually be swayed through certain scenarios to be another, which, you know, in that group think affects perceptions. Um, they talk about Stockholm syndrome yeah. about the two men who entered the New York city bank. And then the, um, the hostages after only a few hours came together to help the robbers um, escape, which reading some of the articles, I don't know if you guys have ever read the articles or actually like watched it. I've listened to a podcast about it and stuff like that. It's, it's a really fascinating scenario having those folks come out of that situation, essentially fighting for their cap, you know, <laughs> you know, their captors. It's like, Oh, well, I want, I want, I feel like they are right in some way, you know, and that's an interesting way to, to look at it. Well, I also wonder when you put the view of how capitalism can dehumanize us, are they really wrong? You know, and I think it's a tough question. Of course, kidnapping people and holding them hostage is wrong. Okay. I'm not saying that it's not, but if you look at the motivation sometimes between people who are quote unquote thieves, um, why are they stealing? And also if we didn't have a capitalist system, Mm -hmm. would it actually be stealing? You know, like, is that like, how can we, how can we make different worlds when we write them? Um, not have the constraints of what we think is morally justified or right. Right. Yeah. Which I think that's why I really always gravitated towards fantasy too, because I always really loved the idea and I, and I incorporate this in, in some of my fantasy works too, but the idea that there could be a, a guild of thieves and have that be a thing that functions just fine in a society. You know what I mean? Like, why do they why do they steal? How are they functioning? And why are people just okay with it? And 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 so I think that those kind of uh nuances, like you were saying, well, I think are really interesting um when it comes to fantasy and science fiction, because there can be whole sects of sects of people 
that um, or groups, you know what I mean, that do things outside of the law as we know it, um, but are perfectly acceptable and function just fine in the in the world building aspect that you know we as authors bring to it, right? Sorry, Brent, you I cut you off. No, 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 you no, you actually built on right. What I was about to say, um, yeah, like it, that's why I love fantasy too, especially like secondary worlds, is because you can look at these um, models, they, these social constructs, and really either manipulate them, challenge them, or subvert them. Like um, how you brought up thieves. Like I read this really interesting thing about how crime, crime is a social construct with a specific purpose, right? Like we bring up thieves, right? So a thief robbing a bank is immediately going to be prosecuted. They're going to, you know, well, not immediately, but they're going to immediately be jailed. They're going to, you know, have to stand trial. They will suffer consequences. Whereas a company who steals wages it's going to take years before anything happens to them. And the police aren't going to do anything about it. You literally have to go get a lawyer. You have to spend your own money. You have to hope that you can stand a chance against this company. And they've robbed way more than that person from the bank ever did. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like you can challenge that in fantasy. I think you can restructure, subvert, think about all those things. So it reminds me of two things, um, a book and a movie. So City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. Fantastic fantasy, but it totally flips the script on having a society. Um, maybe I'm using the wrong word that, that is social socialistic, where you're getting certain amount of money or food stamps or things like that. And everyone gets the same. And there, there is this rebellion that's rising and they're doing it by stealing these food stamps and things like that. Um, and, and that's the structure of the story there. Uh, well, one of the conflicts that's going on. Um, and so, Marshall, I like that you brought up in fantasy, like, what if there's a thieves guild? You know, well, what if you turn capitalism on its head? You know, what would you get? And Charlie Jane Nanner's version of it, you get a dictator that's even worse. You know, because they they went so long without anything. Will just made a face. <laughs> I think it's because he's eating. I know, <laughs> but but almost like Will was thinking and slightly <laughs> disagreed with me, but hadn't said anything yet. <laughs> he he's more he's definitely way more well versed in books than I am. Um, and I just recently finished this one through Audible, and I think Will's read it like three times. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of my favorites. Um, I love so- it. I think that's an interesting thing about capitalism, socialism, all these isms that we've created um, as a human population, because that also affects perception, right? Mm-hmm. So we have um, we have a group of people here in the U.S. or a belief system. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just make anything happen. Let me say this: yes, to an extent. Okay depending on a lot of different variables. And in storytelling, you know, when you can really use that power of perception from a certain group of people who maybe are the paradigm dominant culture, and then write characters who want all of those things, but have so many obstacles and conflicts in between that stops them from getting it. And go into the part of 
maybe one character's perception of why that person isn't getting it, and then the actual person who's going through it and their perception. So I think those are two things that you can really play with, you know, when you look at um, our society here in America, or I mean, the world too. There's so many layers. Yeah. Right. The, this the is movie, um, oh, you go ahead, Nick. Sorry, I was going to say the movie I was going to bring up to your point, Brent, was uh, fun with Dick and Jane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great. That movie. is the classic story of stolen wages by a corrupt CEO, and it gets right. flipped on his head. Which someone had to do on their own. Police couldn't get involved. Lawyers, lawyers had to get hired, and he didn't have any money. Like, so if you guys need a good example of that one for Brent, right there. Yeah, yeah. There was um a book I recently finished, um like only a couple of days ago actually. It's called The Shadow Saint, and there's an interesting um group thing happening in terms of the um main city it's about. So basically, it's uh. It's the second book in this series called The Black Iron Legacy. But basically the premise of it is that it's about it's about this city that is trying its damnedest to maintain neutrality in basically a God war. Like there's these two, there's these was well, three or four different powers and they're all like their gods are like going to war and they're going to war. And this city is like no religion here. Don't bring your saints. Don't bring your gods. Don't bring your miracles. We're trying to be neutral. And in the second book, you start to see um, what happens when, like, being too hardlined about that starts to affect, like, their starts to affect the city as a whole. So they have this whole thing where, like, if you if you're a saint of one of these gods, you immediately get quarantined. They put you in this prison, or if you're like, you know, if you're in any way religious, like, they try to suppress the power of religion because it's like. We don't want gods here. We don't want this war coming our way. And um, the book, the second book kind of challenges this idea of like, is that really the right way? Is this really going to keep you neutral? Like the world's falling apart. You can't plug in your ears and act like you can't get involved in this war. And uh, I think it's definitely it makes me think of like a lot of in a lot of ways. It makes me think about some of the centrists you see out here today who are like, can't we all just get along? Like right. there's nothing going <laughs> on, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like we could try, but <laughs> you can't ignore like all of the, the trouble happening around you. And so, yeah, I just like the book for that. I think it does a really good job of examining what happens when you try to bury your head in the sand as a collective mm. and ignore a problem. I mean, if we want to bring it back to like science fiction or Star Wars, you know, like the the old Republic. Yeah. They they when someone was coming to rise to power, they stuck their head in the sand. They focused on their own selves. I mean, we're seeing it right now in our country. The thing is is that there's a failure to listen to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, where and when we do listen to them, we deny their experiences, right? Like, mm, that's not how it really is. You're over-exaggerating when you're like, well, this is my viewpoint and this is how I feel. And you can't argue emotions, right? You can't argue things that you literally see on tape and video, you know, nine times out of 10. I'm not saying people can't edit it. It also reminds me of something uh, for perception I said on the last episode when I used, uh, we were talking about X-Men and Martin Luther and Malcolm X. And I was like, you know, you know, white people glorified um, Martin Luther. And I just want to say something. They didn't at the time, 
that he was alive. Right. It was it was literally like sixty eight percent of white Americans thought he was awful. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the revisiting the perception of history, right? Where they said, oh, he was so wonderful and great, but Malcolm X was terrible. So I think that's also, you can have a revisionist's um, perception, right? And a revisionist perception of what you think is um, how things were, or, you know, to gloss it over or to fit your own uh, values, basically. Or to escape basically saying um, things are still messed up. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Yeah, mm-hmm. you are. And I think I think I think what's interesting too to to just to bring it back to the worlds that we're creating too, uh, that that what you brought up, Will, I think is something that I've been dealing with quite a bit lately with other avenues of of life and society. But as far as when you explain to somebody, okay, this is how I feel, this is what I've experienced, this is what's going on. And then to have them say, well, it can't be that bad or, oh, I've never seen that. So it can't be true. Right. And so to, if, if we're talking about characters, perceptions, that's a really interesting dynamic to play with in fiction, especially in your world, world building too, is like, are, are there a section of people in your society trying to be heard, for example, and, and, a, and a, and a large swath trying to say that, you know, their experience invalidate their experience in some way. Right. So this is a lot, there's a lot there you can play with. And that's just, that's just one example from what we're dealing with kind of right now in our society and taking that and superimposing it on a, on a world that you've created. And I mean, you can do this with, you know, I mean, and fantasy does this pretty well, I think, and has done it pretty well for a long time. Um, if you jump into you know, uh, D and D and forgotten realms kind of stuff. Uh, for example, I mean, you have the con the, the few between elves and dwarves, like, like nobody really knows where that started. We know they hate each other. Uh, but it's like, well, I can't stand elves. So this is why. And, and, you know, and it goes back and forth, but it's almost like there every once in a while, if you have a story where there's an elf sitting down with a dwarf and actually hearing each other, that's a whole different deal. Right. And so I think, I think that's just another way you can kind of play with perception as, as far as characters go and world building for sure. So, well, that and deeply accept, accepting all their stereotypes and flaws and just who they are. I mean, well, hundred percent there's Gimli, racism right? too happening. Well, yeah. Le- Legolas <laughs> and Gimli, they're constantly right. calling out stereotypes against each other and each character plays into their own stereotypes. Like, mm-hmm. right. Beautiful. Uh, so, we mentioned Star Wars, right? And I just want to bring it back to a book, Interdependency by John Scalzi. Mm. There's a lot of great examples of bad things happening and people being an ostrich and talking their heads in the sand mm-hmm. because it's harder to deal with the the real stuff than it right. is not to. And and that, that I love that series. Yeah, Scalzi does a really good job he, with yeah, that, especially I, in that series. Yeah, yeah, Scalzi's great. So. <laughs> Uh, he's a good one. Brian, you just tweeted about, I think, was it today? Um, about Black Kate um, Elliott's oh, Black Wolves. Yes. Black, also really well. Yes, Black Wolves. So sh- Kate Elliott does this so well in her world building where, like, I'm I'm reading it and I love the story, but I'm also like, oh, my God, like, to only be able to attempt to take a tenth of that into my writing. But so she, she has this situation where basically there's – 
all of this political intrigue on multiple levels happening. And what she does so well is that every character kind of has, every character has their own agenda. And what she does really well is that she shows how people's agendas sometimes align. And then sometimes they're completely conflicting. And then other times it's like, they're conflicting in one angle and then they're aligned in another angle. And she just creates this really tangled web, but it feels, it still feels like it's completely, it's completely succinct by the time you start putting all the pieces together. And it's like, whoa, this person's perceiving this, but no, it's a, this is really what's happening. So there's a king in the um in the story. His name is Jehosh. Jehosh is basically he's a terrible king. He's not good at it. He um he went up north, like was conquering shit, and he he's I guess he thought this was a good idea, but he has two wives, and these two wives are. At war with each other. And, I've read and, the Bible. This is end badly. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't end well. And the fact he has one wife who is very vicious, and she has her two sons, and then the other wife has one son. He favors the youngest son, and so the other wife is like, "No, you're not going to toss my children to the side. Like, I will make sure my children are protected, and they will rise to power." So she has this thing where. She attacks it from two angles. She sends one son to become this high religious figure. And she starts having him see the religious power all through the country. And then the other son, she's having him like kind of like taking over, gaining allegiance in the military. And she did this thing where she killed. So she killed her aunt and the person who ended up taking over for her aunt basically is on her side. So now she has three points of power that she can take out her husband with, even though he's the king. And there's a point in the story he realizes what he's up against, and he's like, "Oh shit! Like, <laughs> like I have to, I have to get rid of this woman." But she's doing all this, and he—it's basically like, I guess, to kind of sum it up, she does a really good job of like figuring out how people have power over each other and how those levels of power intersect and how they conflict, and um. Yeah, I, I I envy her skill, and I wish I had some of it. But <laughs> yeah, she's amazing at it. I mean, she's an amazing. I feel like she's one of the most under, um, under recognized authors. Absolutely, know about her because she is an amazing storyteller. She should be right up there with Robert Jordan, Sanderson, and I say that with like no exaggeration. Like she is amazing. Like the way that she managed to build this world like this the world is so rich and and even with all the politics like on top of it it's like i'm just i don't know it's like sitting down to a feast when you read one of her books it's just like ah, so much to dig into so yeah she's an amazing author can can you give her name and her series one more time yeah um so the book is called black wolves and her name is kate elliott and she also just dropped a book which i'm really excited to get to i haven't read it yet but it's called unconquerable sun and it's basically a gender bent Alexander the Great, but in space. So, yeah. So wow. I, I mean, I've heard great reviews. I have it. I haven't had a chance to get to it. Boom, right there. Yeah, Will's holding up the picture for <laughs> listeners. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I like I'm excited. That. Holding up the book for the listeners. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well said, buddy. Well said. Uh, I. How often do we do this? I know, right? All right, so I'm thinking, uh, where are we at? We're pretty good on time. 
So do we want to wrap this up in some way, shape or form? Will, how do you, how are you feeling about where we're at with the chapter? I mean, I think we can um, stop here. You know, I think there's some other things we can go over the next episode and then go right into the next couple chapters. Yeah. And I think, and I think the idea is to condense a couple of these chapters and try to get through the book in the next couple episodes. I really do appreciate uh, Brent tagging along on us, tagging along with us on this journey for sure. Um, And I think the conversations are great. The discord loves it. Um, We seem to be having um, the feedback has been really good. So some of the things that we go over to think about, um, about, you know, your characters longing what they want. And then also just about the power of perception and think about the examples we talked about and think of some examples of what you could do in your own work and then examples that you read, because that's, what's going to also help you write better. And, and, and I think too, bringing awareness to the content and the books, the content we consume and the books we read too, I think, um, will help us with our writing, uh, for sure. The folks listen to this. I mean, and I know we, we tend to fall back on TV shows and movies in, and I think we did a really good job of focusing on books this episode, by the way, gentlemen, I, I gotta say. Um, but I know we do fall back on that, but I mean, that's because it's easier to consume that um, right now, especially with pandemics and various other things going on, but, but picking up books and throwing those as examples too, to help you with your writing, I think is super important. So um, I'm really glad we focused on books and all the books we mentioned, um, if we don't listen, if we don't list them in the show notes, keep that in mind. Um, but they are, um, they're out there and, and, you know, jump in our discord too, of course. And you can always, uh, give suggestions on other ones that fit what we're talking about for sure. For sure. This book has been a game changer, guys. I'm not even just talking to the three of you here. It's, it's made me want to rewrite my entire novel. <laughs> Which you probably should anyway. So many times. Oh, it's happening. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) This has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.